On today's episode of A Story in a Chat, we'll be exploring what it means to be a good leader while also being a woman. It's going to be a good one, so settle in and happy listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Story in a Chat, the podcast where you will hear mine and other perspectives on topics that are important to all of us. I am your host, Aisha Iqbal, and I wholeheartedly believe that conversations can bring people together in the most beautiful ways. I've created the space to do just that, and I'm really excited to share this next perspective with you today. So let's get started, shall we? Last year, I ventured into Reddit territory to do some research on a topic for a blog article I was writing on single mom shaming. I specifically went into Change My View, which is a forum designed for discussion to understand opposing views. I was told I could get some really beneficial counterpoints to my topic that would help me build better bridges between people on different sides of this particular topic. Now, forum rules dictated that I had to actively engage with the debate which turned out to be three of the scariest hours of my day. I was bombarded with heated comments about single moms ruining their children's lives and opinions soaking in misogyny about how overall all women suck. At the end of this ordeal, I received a message from Reddit saying that they were impressed with how I managed the conversations without killing anyone. So they invited me to talk about my experience on their podcast. Now, that part of this overall experience was pretty cool. This year, I went back in for more pain, this time on the topic of mothers as leaders in the workplace, and Reddit did not disappoint. There were different variations of the same sentiment, that women suck as leaders. Lots of colorful examples were given about the female candidates running for the Democratic nomination in the 2020 U.S. elections. Of course, Hillary Clinton's emails were mentioned. I even got comments about how someone's female manager at McDonald's was out to get him because she's a drug addict and a sexual predator. Apparently, I've developed a thicker skin from my experience last year because I wasn't as bothered by the exercise this time. Although I did continue to wonder, what is up with all this hate against women? Today, I'll be speaking with Ali Merchant, who has spent years running learning and development departments for public companies, iconic technology brands in Silicon Valley, and the biggest ad agencies on the planet. He has personally trained and coached managers, directors, vice presidents, and C-suite executives, and knows the main thing they have in common is the want to learn how to truly connect and inspire teams to bring the best out of their employees. I reached out to Ali because I had the pleasure of working with him many years ago and have remained connected to him through his email newsletters, which always have a truly human approach to a management situation that he's coaching his readers through. I knew that he's definitely someone I needed to chat with to hear a perspective on the qualities of a good leader. Do women suck as leaders? That is an unequivocally no right there. And I'll tell you why, because I think I'm a mama's boy. So my mother is a leader, number one. So let's start there. My wife happens to be an incredible leader. And I think the way we define the word leadership tends to cause a lot of issues, right? So for the scope of of this conversation, let's start to talk about women 
leaders at work, because I think that's what we're most interested in. I think what we have to understand first and foremost is the fact that women are dealing with different types of challenges that men are at work. I think the problem is a lot of male leaders like myself fail to understand the types of challenges that women are going through. And we tend to put them in a box and we tend to, you know, to your question, say, bad leader, good leader. I, you know, you don't have that. You have different grades when it comes to leadership. So I'm going to say the same thing. You know, it's, can women be average leaders? Sure, just like men. But there's no bias out there that says all women are bad leaders. In fact, uh, one of my strongest leaders are women. So it, it kind of, you know, changes the landscape. But I, I think when it comes to training opportunities, you know, we need to be providing different types of training to women at times. But I've heard that some women can have different types of issues. But, uh, you know, I think women can be really strong leaders as well. So let's let's take it back right to the beginning, as I will say. And I will ask you to define what a leader is not a good or bad but just what is a leader yeah you know if we knew the answer to that you know that that would have been really simple but it really depends on who you ask i'll give you my definition right a leader in my opinion is someone who has the ability to connect and the word connect is can be really nebulous i'm going to double click on that a little bit a leader is someone who can be strategically vulnerable, okay? And we can talk a little bit about that. A leader can be someone who has the ability to do two specific things really well. I'm getting tactical, but this is, this is important. Someone who can listen and someone who has the ability to stay curious a little bit longer. Okay. If you think about it, you know, if I were to ask you about your favorite leaders, and I do this in all my workshops, we ask this question, you know, think about a good leader. I show nine out of 10 times people will say, you know what, this person, he would listen to me or she would really listen to me. You know, she would not be providing me with answers all the time. If I needed advice, if I needed counsel, I would go to this person. Now, why is that? Why do we trust people? Why do we trust some people a little bit more and a little bit less? Because they have the ability to connect with you on a very different level. When you are talking to them, they give you the respect of listening to you. That's one. Now, let's kind of think about why a good leader listens A good leader listens not because he or she wants to just listen all the time, but a good leader listens because they're trying to understand you. That's where leadership starts. Now, the problem that we see across the board is managers or newer managers are told that you need to have answers to all the questions. Or if you say, I don't know, people will think that you are weak. That's the opposite. In fact, if a leader has the courage to raise her hand and say, you know what, guys, I don't know the answer to this. What do you think? That leader will immediately gain the trust of her team. 
So you want to take a step back and really understand the big picture. Are you able to listen? And are you able to ask the right questions so that you can stay curious just a little bit longer so that the other person starts to open up? That's true leadership right? We all know you need the right mission. You need the right vision. You need to inspire. You need to motivate. You need to give feedback. Those are all tactics. You can't do any of this until and unless you have those two muscles of listening and asking the right types of questions. I'm going to go back because this is the second time you've said understanding. The first time right. it was when asked if women suck as leaders, you were just like, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a challenge in understanding the challenges that they have. And then the second time, a good leader is one who takes time to understand their people. It sounds easy enough. Let's spend some time to understand. And this could be a whole separate conversation in itself, right? Like what are the components of understanding? How do you develop understanding? How do you strive for understanding? So let me go back to your first statement of, we just don't fully understand the challenges that women leaders face. Let's start there. What, what are some challenges that you have seen that women leaders yeah. face that people don't necessarily understand? I'll give you a really good example and a timely example. So just today, coincidentally, there's a manager that I work with who has a team and they're right now everyone's remote. And she was asking me, she's like, hey, listen, I need to align with my team right now. We're all over, you know, we used to be an in-person office. This is the first time we're remote. So we spoke about expectations and figuring out, okay, who's working at what time, who's not working at what time, et cetera, which was simple enough. But then she came back to me and she's like, you know, Ali, actually there's something more that I'm struggling with. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. And she's like, I have a newborn nine month old baby. And my entire team, they're young. Most of them are male. They don't have kids. I'm their manager. How can I explain to them that I am not going to be as attentive to them as much as I used to be before I had a kid? Now, I've been doing this for a decade, like I said. And, you know, I've heard all sorts of challenges but this blew my mind because it's been 10 years of me doing this and I'm, I never, ever even thought to understand, oh, that could be a challenge, right? Now, it's a simple one that a woman is going to have. Now, here, here's the beauty of this challenge. And that's why I was saying unequivocally women, are, women don't suck as leaders because the self-awareness that I see in women is incredibly high than the self-awareness I see in men. And I'm going to put myself... In, in, you know, in this example, if I have a problem with my team, I can simply say, hey, guys, this is not going to happen. This is non-negotiable. I'm the boss. Blah, do it, do it like this or do it like that. But this woman actually emailed me saying, I feel guilty. I don't know how to tell my team that I have a kid. They know I have a kid, but I'm going to need more time. And that's just, I mean, that's just crazy to me to think about the fact that a mother in 2020, has she actually walk on eggshells and she's an incredibly great manager thinking that I need to make this, you know, I need to explain to my team that I need more time to spend with my kids, especially during these days. That's, that's just one example, right? But let, let, let me kind of talk to you about one, one more thing when it comes to understanding, right? Here, here's the challenge, and I'm going to assume here, so please uh, correct me if I'm wrong, right? 
I, I hear this question, do, do women leaders suck because they don't seem to be getting promoted? There's this five-year landmark study that's done, which talks about the fact that, you know, when it comes to the glass ceiling right now, we have a couple of cracks. But when it comes to climbing the glass ceiling, the highest rung is the bottom rung. Women are not getting promoted as first-time managers. That's the biggest problem. And I'll tell you why. Because right now, if you, if you look at the, the, the latest data, one out of four women in a boardroom is, is, is a woman right now, 25%, right? Which is, which is BS. We, we need more representation here. But men and women think that, oh, the representation is good enough right now and it's getting better. So that's why everyone's getting promoted and everything is great, but it's not. One out of four is actually abysmal. And the way we increase that ratio is we give more opportunity to women at the bottom rung. And here's the biggest problem with opportunity. We have an abundance of mentors right now. Everyone's willing to mentor women and men, but here's the bigger problem. We don't have a lot of sponsors when it comes to women. Right now, for your audience, would you like me to explain the difference? I was just going to ask you to do that. Yes. Right. So, so um, you know, so I let's take the same example of of this woman who said, "Hey, I have a kid, and I need you know, I, I need to kind of figure this out. I can be a mentor to her, and I can give her some ideas, or I can connect her to a woman who's had a kid, and we can mentor her. But I don't work with her, so I can't sponsor her from a for a promotion." So sponsors are internal. Sponsors are people who can go to bat for you at your job, who are at the same level to your boss or they're your boss's peers, right? So women might have an incredible amount of mentors to them, but a lot of women are saying, hey, listen, now, great, but I need you to sponsor me. I need you to be the one that goes to bat for me. I need you to be the one that understands when I negotiate for you or negotiate on my behalf. That's a problem until such time that we don't have enough sponsors, we're going to have a challenge. The example that you used about the new mother, not only have I just recently been there, I have a three-year-old daughter, but surprisingly, I was one of those people that she would have likely had to speak to. And, and, and I say this because many years ago, I used to work with women, they were my peers, but they were mothers at that time, new mothers. And for some reason, I used to hold it against them that they're leaving work early. And I used to, I used to count it as a badge of honor while I'm still at work, I'm still right. here working and they're off, you know, running off to home. So this is me as a woman thinking this about another woman. So, I mean, there's different, different things there. It was my own imposter syndrome, my own kind of, you know, thinking from a place of scarcity that, sure. you know, there's only room for one woman at the top and that needs to be me, right? I didn't see this as kind of a team effort or a collaboration of sorts of peers. But you said that that's self-awareness that women have versus men. Is there something else at play there too? Like, can that level of self-awareness be debilitating? This woman, she is thinking about all these things like, oh, I feel guilty about this. I feel guilty. But it was that word when you said that she felt guilty, mm. having a level of self-awareness. Yeah. But then what comes after that? The emotions that get tied to that guilt, that's debilitating. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, again, from the women counterparts that I have, I've seen that side to it, which is the burnout side, which is I'm, you know, I'm trying, I'm going to deliberately use the word care. I care for my team. I'm nurturing. I'm trying to care for someone. I can't even pretend to understand that. I care for my team, obviously, but I would not be able to comment on how a woman feels. But I'm certain that could feel debilitating because we're putting our, you know, women are putting themselves out to make sure everyone is happy. You know, the system is working. It's not take it or leave it. So, you know, the bad... I, I'm sure it's really hard to find the balance. Again, I wouldn't know. I can't even comment on it, how someone would figure that part out. But you see that. And, you know, again, going back, Aisha, going back to data, this might be interesting for your audience. Another reason, going back to the burnout column, is women can have a harder time delegating tasks than men do. Right. And, and again, that, that's, that's really interesting. We even see that at home, right? Like, I mean, we're, I know we're talking about work, but where we see this a lot in the home space where women feel like they run the household, they do it without a lot of help. Right. right. So that could be said at home. It's asking for help. Mm-hmm. It's asking for help. It's, it's difficult. And there's this data point, which is really interesting when they ask for help because they don't want to do it. They rush through it. Because if you don't want to do something, you just kind of rush towards. So they appear to be curt, right? They're like, oh, you know, you're just being dismissive. You're not trying to explain mm-hmm. to me. So, so there are these, these, these challenges. But again, the problem that my sex has right now is lack of training and an incredible amount of bias. Listen, that's not a, you know, I hate using the word problem, but we all have so many different biases that we're born with. Right? We need someone to actually educate how this is going to work. I'll give you another example that I see all the time when it comes between men and women. I have seen, I have done this personally, unintentionally, where I will interrupt someone. Right. And I'm sure if someone were recording me, I might have interrupted women more than I might have interrupted men. You know, I don't have the, the data to prove that, but... You know, I, I'm sure I've done that. And you, you see that, in fact, just, again, since this conversation is so timely, just yesterday, I think two days back on Twitter, the former CEO of Twitter was talking about the, about the fact that how during performance reviews, women would be labeled as aggressive, but men would never be labeled as aggressive. And he's like, I know those guys, they're incredibly aggressive, right? But when a woman takes charge, she is sometimes put in this box that, oh, you know, right. you're, you're being aggressive, et cetera. Again, I can't speak to it. That's just day. I'm just rattling up data. Right. But you, you see that in men, we need to be better educated. This is not about one's right, one's wrong here, right? right? This is not about a competition. This is about how do you coexist with each other because if you going back to leadership Aisha if you don't have diversity not just diversity of color but diversity of gender right but if you don't have diversity of thought then what's the point of diversity of gender and color what's the point of us giving women a seat on the table when no one's listening to them 
right? And I'm not saying no one's listening to them, but I'm saying we have to do a better job of, of understanding that. So, you know, the, these are challenges that we have to, and I think we're making progress, but we're, we're, we're far from figuring this out. So two things, going to go back to the point about the feeling of guilt, right? That comes yeah. with the self-awareness women feel. And then the second is what you said about men need to be trained. They need more education. So while you were speaking about that, it came to mind how much of this is environment related, like the, mm. the feeling of guilt. Would she feel guilty if she felt that she worked in an environment that was accepting of her motherhood, that it, it was okay for her to not be around as much because she was a mother? And then if that were the case, then she would feel more confident in coming to a conversation and be able to confidently say, I can't attend this meeting because I have to attend to my child and not feel any emotion about it, but very matter of fact that this is the way I work, right? right? And it brings to mind something that I had to practice when I became a new mother. I remember my first job after becoming a new mother and I had to start a new job, a brand new role, brand new company, which is scary as hell. But sure. I remember my first meeting because thankfully that role did give me a seat at the table. And so when I came to that table for the first time, surrounded by senior leaders and executive leadership, what I said to them was that what I'm doing here from nine to five with you guys is just for fun. My real job starts when I get back home mm. because my real boss is waiting for me there. <laughs> now, I was scared shitless when I said that because right. I said it as a joke because it was me testing, number one, my confidence in myself. Do I have the courage to set this limit for myself? Because you understand, because I, I went back to agency life and agency life, 60 hours, like right. average a week, right? And I couldn't do that as a mother. Sure. And I just wouldn't. Even if I could, I just didn't want to. And so I was testing my own bravery, my own courage. Like, do I have what it takes to set that limit for myself and for others? And then number two, it was also testing how it was going to be received by the people that were going to be my leaders, the leaders of this company, what will it say about the culture of that company? And I was so scared to do that, but I'm glad I did because yeah. then the job after that, that I had again, elevated role, new company. When I said that again, I was a different person when I said it. Mm. I said it with a whole lot more courage. I said yeah. it with actual conviction that, yeah, yeah. yeah. I am, I, I am here for my fun. This is adult fun. Right. But right. it didn't take away from the quality of work that I was bringing to right. the company, right? Yeah. But again, it was, and then the, the environment in those two companies were different. The company that I am at now, where I said it again, it feels more accepting, more accepting of me, who I am when I come to work, which is a mother, which is a worker, which is all of my identities, right? But mother sure. being the pivotal part of that. Right, And right. so I feel much more open to yeah. even before like coronavirus, like, you know, whenever I would be on late night calls or early morning calls, if Aliza, my daughter was sitting on my lap, I would not care. It, it would not be, I need to kick her out of the room. I sure. was comfortable with bringing my motherhood into my work yeah. as well. Yeah. But that wasn't, that hasn't always been the case. It took practice. I had to practice to get there. I had to practice courage, right. but I also had to be in the right environment to do that. So when you say training for men, it also made me think about 
the confidence that women can bring to the environment, to challenge the environment, to change the environment. Oh, I, you know, I, I love what you said about practicing courage, right? I, I just made, made a note of that. I, I think that that's incredible. I'm happy you had the confidence to do that. Some people don't have it. They, it it's difficult, right? So, some of us, you know, and again, confidence is like that magic elixir, right? So you have it, you don't, you can work on it. You know, we can talk about growth mindset, fixed mindset, whatever. But I'm happy to hear that you had the ability and the confidence and the conviction to, to speak your truth, right? But what I also want to add is, and I think you made that point earlier, is your leadership was receptive. That's right. The company, the word that I was looking for is, you know, you had psychological safety. That's right. Right. And when you have psychological safety, when you feel safe psychologically at work, guess what happens? You produce better work. That is your absolutely right. Your productivity goes up, right? It's amazing research that talks that specifically talks about the fact that if we are unable to speak our truth because someone is going to reprimand us for it, you know, either we're going to just shut ourselves down or we're going to just check the box. So... There's so many elements of culture that are involved, but going back to training, you know, and, and training is a big bad word here. When I when I talk about training, I, I'm I'm talking about educating people that you know we have people who have kids who have different types of commitments. And again, going to an agency role, everyone's young. You know, people are drinking at 2.30 in the afternoon there. It's like, oh, if you don't come to a happy hour, you're just, you know, you don't belong here. So it's a click. But it's, you have to, you know, explain that, hey, I'm still part of the click, but now I have different responsibilities. I think it's, it's a rite of passage for people to understand. But here's another point, right? We, we, we didn't talk about this. I'm bringing this up shamelessly about this idea of being strategically vulnerable. That's what you did. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you took mm -hmm. a calculated risk. You said, hey, I'm going to try something. And I see you nodding your face, the head furiously, right? That's what you did. And you took a, a risk. You kind of figured out, hey, this place might be my type of environment. And even now in 2020, you know, a lot of places will show you the door for that. So it's it's challenging again as a dude it's hard for me to speak to obviously you know some of these these areas but i love the fact you know about practicing courage you have to try it but it's it's risky it's risky for a lot for a lot of elements here so and, and a lot of times people withhold that they're like oh I'll, I'll just i'll just absorb it i'll figure it out i'll change my calendar so that my team doesn't find out right but then we don't you know we don't move forward and Right. But I mean, men feel fear as well, right? You guys get oh, scared sure. too, right? Sure. How does that, I don't know if it's a why question or a how question. Maybe let's start with a how. How does that manifest at work? Tell me more. What do you, what do you mean by that? When I'm scared at work yeah. right. about making a mistake, that can translate into a few things. Sure. Like if I'm scared about a meeting that I'm going into, it could it could translate into me working long hours to prepare for that meeting to yeah. make sure I've crossed off, checked off every box, crossed sure. all T's dotted all I's. And something that I hear a lot of women say is 
the way I rose to the top is because I was always the smartest person in the room, or I was always, I was the hardest working person there. No one could ever beat me on that. When I hear that, I don't celebrate it. Now Mm. I don't celebrate it. I don't buy into Mm. it. What I Mm. hear is that were those things that you were doing to make up for your lack of self-confidence. You didn't feel confident enough. That's why you have to be the hardest working or you had to work the long hours mm. that you did. So I know that's how, that's some ways for, for myself, like fear has translated yeah. into the work that right. um, it's fear because I feel like I don't know enough. So I will work harder to prepare for whatever yeah. may come from that meeting. How does something similar like that work for men? So I'll give you a personal example, but I'll add a curveball to it. As a man and a person of color, I still feel that I have to work harder to get some things done. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I've been fortunate with a great career. I sit on the board of this organization and they brought me in specifically because they're like, oh, we need to reach people of color. And I was like, hmm, are you bringing me in for that or for my skills, right? right. So, so it, it becomes difficult. But I have often found myself working harder to get the same. And I don't view that. You and I differ a little bit on that, which is good. I don't view that as a self-confidence thing. I'm still discovering a lot of things mm-hmm. in life. I feel some of it is cultural, where I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the competition of it, but it could be disheartening where I feel, and again, that's my assumption that someone else who is sitting right next to me might not have to work as hard to prove something that I might have to. I see that a lot. It's not right. It's not wrong. That's just the way of the world where I might say something and someone might be like, sure. And then the guy on my right might say the exact same thing, but they might be like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, so I, I think we're, you know, Aisha, I think we're all trying to figure our place in life. There is no freaking manual for this. None. It just doesn't exist. In my opinion, what I've tried to do is I've tried to make peace by saying it's, you're not wrong. I'm not wrong. We're just both different and we're trying to coexist. You know, I I see this movement where we're always saying they're wrong or he's wrong or she's wrong or I'm right. That is counterproductive. And again, I'm going back to the same thing that we started this conversation because we're not listening then. Remember, we spoke about the two fundamentals of leadership, which is listen and ask questions. We're not doing that because we're so fixated by saying, hey, man, I'm the one that's right. And you're the one that's wrong. It's just we're just different people trying to coexist um, and, and they're trying to figure this out. Anyone who says they have the right answer, stop listening to them because they don't. No one does at this point. These are just opinions. And that's what I would tell your audience to do as well, which is read up, you know, look up some data, look up. To, and the best thing you can do is ask someone, you know, ask a woman, ask someone who, who you feel is marginalized and ask them about their experience. That's the best way you learn and just shut up and listen to them without judging, which is so, and again, that's another characteristic of a great lead, of a visionary leader who's just, who has the ability of just not judging. You know, you don't have to judge people. You can judge someone's performance. You should as a manager, but you don't have to say you're wrong. You're right. Your, your performance might be lacking. That's something different at this point. 
sorry for the tangent, but I, I think you know. That was cool. great. That's why you're, you're great for this because I, I enjoy your rambles. They're always so informative. I want to. <laughs> Uh, I got a lot more questions. <laughs> but I did want to get a little little bit deeper into the thinking around we're different and, and that's okay yeah. versus right or wrong. Right or wrong can help simplify the sure. path forward, right? Like, hey, we're, we're trying to get something done. I want to find the best way to do it, hmm. which the best can also mean the shortest time the less less amount of money that it takes whatever right however you want to quantify or define best but right or wrong seems to get us there quickly versus if we're just like oh yeah that's different that's a different opinion yes you i i agree it almost can we get to a solution that way and what does that look like and i know i'm I'm putting a very business lens to this but i think this is applicable in everyday life as well too like if we think of home life whether you know two partners or or any relation that you have in the house it's just like you're wrong i'm right we're going to do it my way this is applicable in all walks of life I love that question. It's a great question because it doesn't come with an easy answer. From from a business lens, if there's an emergency, as a leader, you have to step up and be the one that takes takes command. You have to do that. But hopefully you don't get into a place where you have to start telling people because if you've been a great leader, your people will step up, right? If you So there are two schools of thought here. The first school of thought is the type of manager who is going to jump in and save their people. The second school of thought is, hmm, no, let my people fail just a little bit so that they understand failure and then they can improve better, right? So it really depends on the situation. I think for progress to be made, we will still need referees. We will still need, you know, gatekeepers, the challenge is who referees the gatekeepers. That's the problem, right? I'll give you another example. And if my wife ever listens to me, this is going to be really bad. So (laughs) when it comes to cooking, you know, I love cooking. She loves cooking. But when it comes to the dishwasher, I will load the dishes. And my wife, who I love to death, is going to unload them and do it again. And I'm like, we're doing the same thing for doing the same thing and she's like no you're doing it wrong who's to say who's right who's wrong here but i've resigned to the fact that she knows what she's doing a little bit better than i do so i'm gonna let it go i'll still try but i'll tell her i love you hey you knock yourself out because i don't want to fight because of a freaking dishwasher right so there are times where we have to let go and say who's right who's wrong i think you have to be strategic about that But if you feel that someone is completely dropping the ball and you don't help them correct it, right? If you don't tell them, hey, you know, direct report, you have been amazing, but lately your performance has been just incredibly low and I care for you. And that's why I want you to hear this from me, that something needs to change. You're right. You have to call that out. If you don't, you're failing as a leader, right? So right. it's 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 that's why it's never black or white. You know, Aisha, when it comes to leadership, trauma, people, they're all incredibly messy. They're just 
isn't an answer. And, and I, I hate saying this because I've spent the last decade in workshop where people say, oh, Ali, don't say it. it depends. And I'm like, but dude, it always does because we're talking about two people. You know, there's, there's a, a term for it. It's called situational leadership, mm-hmm. right? The way I manage you is very different than the way I manage Elise or, or, you know, whomever. It completely depends. So kind of, you know, winding this down a little bit. Yes, we need rights and wrongs in certain cases, Yes, but in a lot of cases, we need to start to trust people and we need to trust principles because principles aren't going to change. Principles are here for life. Right. It's so fascinating. You you brought up the dishwasher example. My mother does the same thing. We will load the dishwasher, but she will take it out, rinse it again. And and it's because she, it's the same thing. It's not done correctly correctly. Whereas more correctly, it is not done according to her preference. There you go. She prefers it to be done another way. So I wonder how conversations would change with people if we were to start using that more, not right versus wrong, but I prefer this versus that. Yes. Go because on, because back to back to your 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 two fundamentals about asking questions that leads to more question asking a yes or a no a right versus wrong you stop right there and all your defenses come like right. you're saying I'm wrong I don't think I'm wrong and this is why I don't think I'm wrong you stop listening to the other person you start going yeah. into your internal defense mechanisms whereas right. if you hear someone else saying oh this isn't how I prefer it you're more likely to then follow that up with, oh, why not? Yeah, you know, right, right. What, what, what are your preferences, right? And so, but the workplace, right, again, where, where we need to make certain decisions based on certain frameworks, where we need to define what right and wrong is, what good or bad is, there's still some issues there, right? Because by whose preferences are we saying this is right or wrong? This is bad or good. Like we can say that, oh yeah, it's very quantitative. It's based on sales. It's based on revenues, based on this. We need to hire for this. We need to hire for that. But a lot of the biases that women face in the workplace isn't because there are certain things written in the company's bylaws, right? It's it's because of workplace norms, cultural norms at the workplace, which is not written down anywhere. It's just behaviors that have just stuck and become practices and they could be infused into the hiring practices into the development training practices how do we even approach changing workplace norms yeah and back to the question of people being trained versus people being brave enough to show up to cause change sure so i'll give you an example which might be a little relevant so this is something that we've done done with, with, with my team a couple of years back where we would talk about making mistakes right and what we would say is, listen, why don't we come up with a, with a situation where mistakes in this area are encouraged, meaning fail, take a risk, do whatever you want to, just go knock yourself out. No one's getting in trouble when it comes to these areas. But when it comes to this area, we got to get our act together, right? So the analogy is, you know, below the ship line. Below the ship line, if something happens, the ship is going to sink, so those are non-negotiables. So we're not. It's not about a question of preferences at that point, right? 
right? That's a hard opinion. But when it comes to above the ship line, you can mess around. If this is your preference, you do that. If that's your preference, you do that. That's completely fine, right? That's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it recently, this is something that we're, we're trying and experimenting. And this is something your audience should try if they're leading people or can try is the concept of hard opinions versus soft opinions. As a manager, I can go to my team and say, listen, guys, I'd love for us to read this book, whatever this book is. And you can read it or you cannot read it. All good. Soft opinion. Knock yourself out. If you hate the book, let me know. Soft opinion. Right? And you should have most of your opinions soft if you have a good team. But there are going to be certain times where you say, listen, this needs to get done over the weekend. I'm sorry. We're losing money left, right, and center. It's a hard opinion. You have to come in and get this, this thing done. It's an extreme example. But what that does, Aisha, is that explains or that clarifies expectations on your team that a hard opinion might be unfavorable, but people know what is expected out of them. So things become a little bit less challenging. I am glad you share that because it very nicely goes into something else that I've been thinking about, which is delivery of sure. information. When a woman says something versus a man it can be taken differently so if a woman were to deliver a hard opinion versus a man delivering a hard opinion how what do we see there and it's it's because i recently read an article on margaret thatcher and you know the various opinions largely negative around her her stint as prime minister right in, in the uk she was not looked at favorably as a leader Mm. But then you hear a lot of people, you know, feminists saying, well, what if she was a man and she had done what she had done? You know, would people have attacked her the same way it had it been a man? So that concept of when a woman does it, it is crazy, right? Like, yeah. how dare she? She's a bad right. person. We should never mm -hmm. have a woman leader ever again. But if a man were to do it, like, oh, you know, he's the boss. We got to listen to him. And let, let me just make this point because I'm, I'm going to be as careful as possible. I've, I've had bosses who were men who would give really rough feedback. And I would say, what an a-hole, mm -hmm. right? So men will get that as well. I've had women bosses who've given me really tough feedback. And I'm, yeah, I would have a different opinion on that. And yes, yes, that opinion would differ if, you know, if, if the roles were reversed. So I want to take a step back here and, and kind of talk about this because this is extremely important and it, it's going to not, it, it doesn't just apply to women, but it applies to both genders because it's, it's it. Here's something that I encourage new managers to do, women and men, is when you take on a new team, you need to share with them your communication preferences of how you like to send or share your thoughts and how you like to receive your thoughts or your communication, your inbound. Now, managers make a big mistake when they only share about their preferences, but they fail to ask about their team's preferences. So for your audience, if you're willing to do this, please don't do it. If you just want to share, you have to do it both ways, but you have to receive it. 
Uh, and the reason why this exercise is so incredibly important is that if you're doing this as a woman, you can be very clear and explain to your team that when it comes to delivering constructive feedback, you can expect me to tell you clearly what is wrong and what is right. And the same thing applies if you're a guy. And you can ask your team, what is your preference? And your team can say, hey, listen, boss, uh, I know you love to give feedback straight on, but I would like for you to you know, ease me into it. Great, we can do that. It's such a simple, it, this is so simple. It's just, call, it's just about expectation setting, but the problem is the timing. You gotta do it when you first take on your team. Remember you and I both started to talk about connecting with people. How the heck do you connect with someone if you don't know how they like to receive their communication? You cannot do that. And again, I'm beating this, this drum, questions and listening. That's what I'm doing, right? I'm asking what is your communication preference and when you tell me I'm listening and I'm making notes. Right. So I know when it comes time to giving feedback to Aisha, I know Aisha told me that, hey, I want you to tell me straight up. I need you to pull me aside and tell me, hey, Aisha, you're dropping the ball. Great, I can do that. Or when it comes to Jack, Jack wants me to hold back on my feedback and ask him, hey, how do you think you did? Right? These are principles that apply to men and women. Now, here's the thing. Here's the bad news. You can do it and still people are going to react adversely if you're a woman or you're a man. Right? Right. That's going to happen. People are always going to color outside the lines. That's You can't control that. But what you can do is put in these processes. And when we talk about training, we talk about helping people with these types of processes so they have a little bit of courage to have these types of conversations. That, listen, you know, Aisha, you know this. I'm keeping it real with you. Will this fix everything? No, no. But will it help? Yeah. It's going to help people come a little closer to each other. It's go and again, going back to our, our, our previous challenge about, you know, this manager having a newborn, if she had, a, and again, we're not blaming her for not having a conversation. We're just saying that if the team, if the company had a culture that once you have a new manager or a training that we're all going to share about our families. That's right things would have been a little different, right? So expectation setting in the hiring process, in the onboarding process in, is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important. That's why most managers are failing right now, men and women. And I think you're right. We've, we put all of these measures into place. Things will not fix themselves. Things may not get better. But one thing that I, where I see improvement happening is if we practice being more courageous, if we learn to become more comfortable with discomfort, mm. all of these other things can take place, right? Where these uncomfortable conversations can happen. And it's not just about, you know, gender roles at the work or home or, you know, people of color versus not. There's so many uncomfortable situations that come up in this world. So if we can right. practice to be a little more brave, and a little more comfortable with that discomfort, it could help. I know it's helped me. It's helped me develop so much more as a person at work, as a mother, 
I'm having this conversation with you, whereas it would have been uncomfortable for me to just hit up someone and say, hey, let's just chat, you know? Yeah. It's it's helped me. And there's still more work for me to do. There's still a lot more things that I am very uncomfortable with that I need to be courageous about. But I'm practicing. And it's it's getting so much of that. Right. Yeah. And and, and you can grow. You know, I hate being such a cliche about this, but it's so hard to grow if you don't feel discomfort, right? Just like you, you know, going through, in my own personal life, you know, going through challenges, uh, those have been a blessing when when I look back. Now, now if you ask me while I was going through them, I'd be like, oh my God, I hate this, Mm -hmm. right? It's always fun looking back. It's never fun when you're going through it. But the beauty of that is, if you're lucky enough to look back, most of the, again, I speak from personal experience, Mm -hmm. you come out stronger, right? If you have that support system, and that's what a team is. That's what leadership is to cultivate support around you. And again, when you share, and you know, there's, I hate being a nerd about this because I use the word data all the time, but when you share with your team, that's the best way of getting their trust because they see you as a human being and then they trust you back by sharing their situations. I'll give you another example. You know, when, when I got diagnosed with, with, you know, with, with my health problems, when I shared that with my team, I honestly feel we got closer because they shared some of the challenges that they were going through, right. right? And we became, you know, we were, we were always a team, but I felt that sometimes we were a group that was working together versus a team that said we're rowing in the same direction. We got your back, right? And that's true leadership. And it's not just me, it's my team. My team helps me become a better leader and God knows I make all sorts of mistakes on a daily basis. Absolutely. Because I'm a work in progress. You know, just like you are, just like all of us. I think we have to, to your point, embrace that work in progress mentality that we're never done. You know, we're just chipping away the dirt to kind of craft ourselves into something richer, something better. And for your audience, when I say richer, I don't mean money. That's fine too, but richer in relationships, richer in time, richer in health. Because when you start to lose that, then you realize what your real priority is. It's money. You know, when you go through a lot of crappy time in life, money actually sometimes is like, oh man, it's good to have. It's yeah. important, but man, there are other things which are equally, if not more important, right? So yeah, I think I, you know, I was making some notes while you were talking about practicing courage, embracing the discomfort. It, those are very important. And la- my last point here is, if you read about great leaders, great leaders, not good or average, but great leaders, they've, most of them, if not all of them, have gone through incredible amounts of adversity, incredible amounts of adversity, because adversity is life's greatest teacher. You got to go, it's a rite of passage. I mean, that's still something I debate, like, why? Why can't we just learn good things from happiness? But yeah, we, we just don't. I don't think we're wired that way. So, I don't know why we're not. I don't know either. Like I wish we were, because God knows why go through so much drudgery to learn a lesson. But those, you know, those lessons tend to stick better. 
you know. we're like, oh, we don't want to feel that way again. So yeah, yeah, it's th- th- those are tough. But you know, you got to look back. And, and like I said, if you're fortunate enough to look back, and if you are fortunate enough to have the time to reflect, because not everyone has the time to reflect. You know, I get this. Oh, people are. Oh, some people aren't self-reflective. I'm like, dude. You have four jobs. You don't have time to be freaking self-reflective. If I ask my mom, she'd be like, self-reflective? What, what, what does that even mean, self-reflective, right? So we're lucky that we're living in a place, even in these crazy uncertain times, that we, we can still do that because life has to continue on, you know, and so does leadership. Thank you. Your viewpoint is exactly what I needed for this conversation. This was a great conversation. I, I had a lot of fun. I listen, I got to ramble today, so I'm I'm happy. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Story in a Chat with me, your host, Aisha Iqbal. Before signing off, I want to take a moment to reflect on this conversation and bring it back to my everyday. My career is almost 20 years old and I've been in some type of leadership position for more than half of that time. In the past two decades, I have learned so much about myself and the working world, which has helped me evolve my working and people managing style. But nothing has supercharged my growth quite like becoming a mother did. Almost four years ago, I was cast into the most important role of my life, which is to be the mother of my daughter. Now I have the most important pair of eyes watching my every move, soaking in all of my goods and bads like a sponge. That is scary as hell. But what I've also experienced is that I have never felt more fulfilled with my work than I have in these past four years. Becoming a mother has helped me practice boundary definition and expectation setting, two things that I truly sucked at before. Becoming a mother has helped me value my time differently. So if I'm going to show up anywhere, I'm going to show up as myself. What this means is that I have started to love more of myself in ways that I never had before. And it's actually making the right impact on everyone around me. People at work and the world have started to value me for the things that I actually love about myself as well. And this feels absolutely wonderful. Through my actions and words, I will continue to exemplify for my daughter that she is already enough. She doesn't have to fake it until she makes it, and she should always bet on herself. These aren't easy things for me to do for myself, but I can't just settle for anything. My daughter is watching me. Please tune in next time when I continue to explore this wonderful world of ours through the art of storytelling and discourse with other wonderful human beings. Until then, keep your mind clear and your heart open so you can hear your own truth. Also, if you've enjoyed any part of this conversation, please consider writing a review saying as much and share this out as a gift to others in your circle. Toodles! Toodles!